Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast on today's episode. Def Curling in Morris, a big announcement. We'll talk with the people that run the Cargill Curling Training Center in Morris about why. Will a WHL team work in Winnipeg? I'll ask Leah Hextall and recapping a wild, crazy Sunday in the National Football League. That's all on the podcast. The Canadian Deaf Sports Association and the Morris Curling Club, Cargill Curling Training Centre, along with the support of coaches Lauren and Chris Hamlin, formed a partnership to implement the Canadian Deaf Curling Program, a four-year program which includes access to the training centre and all the equipment and training that it provides. Now, Chris and Lauren join me on the phone now from Morris. Thank you, first of all, both for joining me tonight. Lauren, let's start with you. Is this something that exists anywhere else in Canada? <clears throat> no, I, w- I would say no. I mean, the, the Canadian Deaf Sports Association is is set up as a national organization, and they all have their their individual um, sport associations to operate. But no, this is, and, and uh, the president was here today of Canadian Sports, uh, Canadian Deaf Sports Association, and it's a, a landmark agreement with them. It's a four-year agreement, and... Super exciting for the deaf community of Canada. So why would why is this an important step for deaf athletes, Chris? Well, this is a an opportunity for for the the deaf community to have a place to come out and train, um, to to learn, use the equipment that we've got here to see themselves on TV. Um, the the big screen TV is a huge asset for uh, for all curlers, but particularly for the deaf community because they obviously are very visual in terms of their learning. So the fact that we've got this uh, large screen TV on ice, we can video, show them immediately what we're seeing. Um, you know, we can use, uh, because we don't sign ourselves, we can, you know, with the aid of, you know, pointing and stopping the frame and seeing things, uh, we can better train and they can understand better what what we're talking about. So so that's the, I think a huge part of this, and just the opportunity for uh, deaf curlers from across Canada to um, have some funding that allows them to learn and improve a sport that is um, you know forever. They can play it right up till they're in their 80s and 90s if they choose. And it's uh, also a sport that I think that they can play at in the hearing world. And um, you know, be, feel feel accomplished as well, Lauren. For those who might not know, and I think it's a question people will have hearing this interview: How is deaf curling different than, let's just say, you know, normal curling? Well, and, and let me step step back for a minute. Uh, we got we got interested in the deaf community in 2014. Uh, we had come home from coaching Olympics and around the world, and said we would help anybody that uh, wanted help. And uh, we went to Curling, Curl Mantrope and Curling Canada and got a call that the two Canadian deaf champions were right here in Winnipeg. So we took them to the World Deaf Olympics. And what, and we got immersed in the community, and it was one of the most precious things we've probably done in our lives. We've done a lot of great things, but totally different for them obviously uh and very and simple from the curling community you you think okay if i want chris to sweep i say hurry hard and for them you know it's all visual they got to turn around it just takes more time and right now they're playing if 
under the same rules. It just takes longer to communicate, um, and very much, very much things are different when they go to play. So, Chris, is it? Uh, are there visual signals then when they curl? Yeah, they, they uh, you know, and some things they can do that's easier than we can do, and, and that is uh, the skip can communicate to the person in the hack without yelling because they use they use their, their sign language. Uh, so that's maybe an asset for them, but when it comes to sweeping, they have to use uh, sign language, which is, you know, waving of the hand or, you know, holding up the hand to say, whoa, which we all use, but when we are using it in addition to the spoken language, uh, it's you know the the feedback or the ability to stop and start sweeping quickly is is uh, much easier with a spoken uh, world than it is in the the hearing in the in the deaf or the uh, hearing impaired world. So uh, they use a lot of sign language and they obviously have to be watching and being aware of of who is giving them instruction and where they need to look to to receive that instruction and um, how they put it into practice. One of the things that that we've noticed when they're when they're really sweeping hard on a rock, oftentimes it will be one sweeper because he's got his head down, the other guy's right beside him, like not in the traditional place where that front sweeper would be. He's right beside him, watching the skip with his hand. I'm going to say a foot above the rock, so he wiggles the hand when he wants to sweep, or he'll tell him stop. So it's got to be right down at ice level. So when that guy's head is bent over he knows when to sweep and not sweep. So it's a team team event just to sweep. Chris, you mentioned the big screen uh, that is going to exist at this facility. What other unique items are there, and why Morris for this? Well, we started the uh, the training centre um, back in 2016, and the, the screen TV, the large screen TV, is there already. It has been since uh, the fall of 2016, um, so that part of it is there. Uh, what else do we have? We have a number of, uh, we've got lots of lasers. We've got, um, speed traps so we can put it up on, on the, uh, the iPads, what the speed of a rock is in terms of hog to hog or split timing. Uh, these are tools that, uh, all curlers use. Uh, but the fact that we can uh, show them very quickly on the iPad, they don't have to look at stopwatches, um, just helps them speed up that process of learning how to, to use the timing systems. Uh, we have the rock thrower, which helps them, I guess, practice their sweeping because they can they can throw those rocks. Uh, somebody can be uh, pushing the button and letting the rock go so they can take turns sweeping, and all four of them can be involved in that part of it, practicing that sweeping and the communication. So, that, I mean, all of the tools we have are good for the for every curler, uh, but it's just because it's so visual for them, it, it just makes their um, their practices a little bit more relevant and uh, they can learn a little more quickly. And why Morris? Um, you know, I think the big thing is that uh, most of the uh, clubs in Winnipeg are, are quite busy. Um, you know, they've got leagues that run you know, throughout the day into the evenings, uh, they have a lot of leagues that run on Saturdays and Sundays. And our club is a small club in terms of membership. We have a big facility. We have six sheets of ice. We have excellent ice conditions. We have uh, Al uh, Gitzel is our ice maker, and he does a wonderful job. So we've got top conditions for our ice. Uh, but we don't have it used 24-7. So the fact that we have open ice uh, means that we can have more 
training sessions, you know, Friday nights, Saturday mornings, we can have weekends. Um, last year, we kept the ice in all summer, which means that we can run some either weekend or, you know, even during the week camps for, for children, for, for example, from across Canada to come in and uh, get a chance to use some of this equipment. And then they take that knowledge back home and they can continue to work with it. Finally, Lauren, why are you and Chris passionate about helping the the, the deaf community? Well, I think I said at the outset it was uh, it was just such a neat experience to work with them, and then we were very fortunate. in uh, In June, I had a meeting with with High Life Productions, or production, and they gave a significant sponsorship to kickstart this. We had a a meeting with uh, CDSA uh, executive director, invited them to Morris on September 11th. And so as we speak today, we have a quarter million in place, but we, our goal is to raise a million for the deaf community across Canada. They are uh, they're a disabled community uh, that, that not everybody uh, recognizes, and we've been with them in, you know, in grocery lines and everybody else. And, and you know, the, you'll see the, uh, the teller getting a little impatient until we're behind them and, and say they're, they're deaf community, and right away they, they turn to just wonderful people. And so, so we just want to kind of help to spread the word and, because when you see that white cane, you know it's a blind person. When you see the wheelchair, you know it's a, it's a handicapped person. But when you see uh, a deaf person on the street, you think they're normal, and then when they don't talk to you, you say, hmm. But so we just kind of got attached to them, and then we run a Rosenort school program here. With we have a little deaf girl with us, and we've been, it's an eight-week program. And uh, you know, when she learns something, her, her her brown eyes light up, and she's just a sweetheart. So it's just fun working with kids and people and helping them out. All right. Well, thank you two both very much for your time, and I wish you all the best of luck in this endeavor. Thank you so much. Thank you. Back with our hockey correspondent, Leah Hextall. Let's talk about the WHL. Not official yet, but uh, nothing set in stone. Seems inevitable that Kootenai Ice will end up in Winnipeg sometime in the not-too-distant future. People wonder, could this work in Winnipeg? You've got the Jets, the Moose, the Blues of the MJHL, the Bisons, University Sports. So, Leah, can a WHL team work here? Well, it's so funny you ask me that because my hex on hockey tomorrow is about that fact of whether or not a junior team can work here, a WHL team in the city of Winnipeg. I will tell you this, that I truly believe that a WHL team would be great for Winnipeg. I do have a bit of a bias. I started my career in Brandon covering the WHL, covering the Brandon Wheat Kings. I would love for Brandon to have that provincial rival because they don't have it. I think that would be very energetic for their franchise as well as for one in Winnipeg. I think that this, you have to look at it the right way. All these markets have their own niche. And, you know, the reason the Manitoba Moose are here is not necessarily to sell out Bell MTS place. You know, they're here to develop prospects and to be in the same building as their NHL team to win a Stanley Cup. And you have to also remember is that building is owned by the Winnipeg Jets. So they're not paying a lease like they would be if their AHL franchise was somewhere else. Um, so their operations costs are less. Their travel is less for call-ups. All of these type of things play in. So it's, you know, I know it's a saturated market, but look at, there's other places that do it. Vancouver does it. 
Calgary does it. Edmonton does it. They have NHL teams and they have junior teams. So I think it can be done. I will say this. I know we're talking about if it happens. I'll be very sad for Kootenai if they lose their team. If you are a part of these small towns, whether it's the WHL or the MJHL, it is the lifeblood of a community. And to have a team like Kootenai who has been so strong and done so much and been a championship team over the years and has such great history, it'll be really sad to see the ice depart. But I would love to see one here in Winnipeg. Well, and my perspective on this is I grew up near Owen Sound, Ontario, which is 22,000 people. It's not much different than the size of Cranbrook mm-hmm. where the ice are. And I know the attack nearly left. Or I guess they were the Platers at that time, around 2,000. But community got together, saved the team. And when they won the OHL title in 2011, it was amazing because that run that the team went on is like nothing the city had ever seen before. And the amount that they rallied around it, the ice have had some great years as well. But I think the point you raise is a good one about the moose not necessarily being there to make money. It's kind of a, a lost leader to really help operations costs. And what about this? The... Moose are downtown. The Jets are downtown. That can be a long drive for people if they live near the perimeter. This team will be playing not downtown, and it gives kind of a a different ability for different people to go see this game, a team that I don't imagine would cost a lot of money to go see. No, you're looking at a $15 ticket probably. Um, And I think that's a great point because you have to realize, too, that it's not just about Winnipeg. It's that you have the surrounding communities in Winnipeg. And, you know, the the team that I worry about are something like, you know, the MJHL teams that not only here in Winnipeg, there's only one left, but also the ones in the surrounding communities like Steinbeck and Selkirk. Uh, Because I, I wonder if those would, the people would draw away. But I don't think that that's going to be a problem because communities support their community team. Right. And that's not going to change. And I do believe that there's enough of a market here in Winnipeg for a WHL team. You also have to look down the line, Christian, of what this could bring to the city of Winnipeg. We're talking about bringing the World Juniors back. We know that the the mantle now that they look at is they want an you know, basically an NHL building and a junior hockey team in the same market or in a community very similar. So you look at the Red Deer and uh, Edmonton factors, and and we've done it before in Winnipeg and Brandon, but now there's an NHL team here. Imagine if there's a WHL team here. I think it's a no-brainer the World Juniors come back, and the revenue that a community gets for that is unbelievable, and I know people have been speaking about that, but I just I think it's great. I mean, the WHL is part of the CHL, which is the largest draft pool for the National Hockey League. It's a feeder system. You can watch players literally come play here in Winnipeg and Junior, go to the American Hockey League, and then go play for the NHL Jets. What a great success story that would be. And you have Winnipeggers playing on teams all across the WHL. They could come, you know, Portland Winterhawks visit Winnipeg there's Cody Glass playing in his hometown that's something that we don't have right now it is and I just you know I love junior hockey and I think that it has its own niche audience and I think that it would do very well here and you're talking about a brand new facility and it provides competition and all those healthy things that I think you know when we talk about that people say oh well can it work well I mean, restaurants open up all the time that compete against each other. Banks open up all the time that compete against each other. It's their job to grow the fan base and make it work, and I have no doubt they'd be able to. All right, Leah, I appreciate you taking extra time to talk to me tonight, and uh, enjoy your week. We'll catch up with you again on Friday. You as well, Christian. Looked at the NFL schedule. 
And I thought, yeah, I don't need to watch these all these noon games from start to finish. I can go to the Jets game, kind of pay attention. I mean, the Vikings play Monday anyway. And I got to the press box. I saw the halftime scores and I thought, I need to watch all of them right now. What a day. Craziest day in the NFL this season, probably. And a Sunday deserving of the marquee NFL primetime track for this week's recap. Get the duds out of the way quick. Lions travel to Arizona, beat the Cardinals 17-3 in a hopelessly awful display of football. Sam Darnold leads the Jets to the game-winning touchdown with less than two minutes to go. Jets beat the Bills. They're both very bad. Washington turns to Mark Sanchez to try and save their season, and boy, does he deliver in spectacular fashion if you cheer for any other team because the Giants jumped out to a 40-0 lead. 40 in Washington. Sanchez benched for someone who literally had not thrown a pass at an NFL game in seven years and used Madden to prepare for the game and learn his teammates' names. Colin Kaepernick is laughing somewhere. Giants win big. Green Bay fires their coach. Atlanta might do the same thing pretty soon. Falcons roll over. They play dead at Lambeau. 14-point win for the Packers. Now, despite their interim coach blowing both replay challenges in the first two minutes, Green Bay can still make the playoffs. Please, God, no. Please don't let them make the playoffs. Broncos had hopes of trying to claw back in the AFC wildcard hunt, but those hopes have been extinguished thanks to a bad loss at San Francisco. Niners tight end George Kittle, 210 receiving yards in the first half. None in the second half, but still almost broke the record by tight end in a game. Carolina losers of four straight. They need to beat Cleveland to get things turned around. Browns up six late, not seven because they missed an extra point. So that gives Cam Newton a chance. Panthers need a touchdown. It's fourth and goal. And they didn't get it. I feel like that's happened like three times a season to Carolina. They lose again. Fun times in Cleveland. LA Chargers keep rolling. Not an easy win over the Bengals, but they got it done. They're 10 and three, but because of the Chiefs, they have to settle for the five seed for now. Saints coming off a bad loss in Dallas. They're laying another egg in Tampa. They're on 14-3 at the half. What is happening? Can they overcome? Yes, they. yeah, they can. They did. 28-14. Saints are fine. LA Rams go into Chicago and get suffocated. I'm talking saran wrap over your face can't breathe. Second loss of the season, 15-6. The Bears, they can play D, I tells you. Houston, winners of nine straight. Do I hear 10? Oh, wait, that's Andrew Lux music. Comes back from a shutout loss. In Jacksonville to beat the division leaders by three, they move into a tie for the final playoff spot. Pittsburgh, they've been struggling. Losers of three in a row. And Oakland, they're not going to beat Pittsburgh, but hold on. The Raiders take a late lead with a touchdown. Steelers have hardly any time to get in a field goal position, but the hook and ladder down the sideline. Who would have thought a hook and ladder would work? 40-yard field goal to send it to overtime. Now that should be a gimme. But the kicker slips on the crappy field in Oakland and kicked the ball into his O-line. Steelers lose. Did they miss the playoffs? Playoffs. Baltimore trying to catch the Steelers in the division and they're up by seven late at Kansas City. What a win this would be. Fourth and nine at midfield. Kansas City needs it. Patrick Mahomes rolls out to his right, has to chuck it on the run, 40 yards in the air. How are you kidding me? But they still need more. Another fourth down and a touchdown ties it. Baltimore gets the ball. They fumble. So the Chiefs can kick the field goal for the win. Oh, he missed it. No, oh, he missed it badly. Ugh. But redemption in overtime. They get the field goal. They stop the Ravens. And Robert Griffin III, who had to throw a couple passes. Chiefs hold on to what was only the third wildest game of the day. Dallas and Philly. Battle for divisional supremacy. And not a lot of offense. It was 9-9 in the fourth quarter, but that's when the floodgates open. Cowboys, touchdown. Eagles, touchdown. Next play, 75-yard, touchdown. 
Then the Eagles, touchdown. Let's go to overtime. Dallas, it's a 10-minute overtime. They use all the time. Third down and goal. I might need to kick a field goal. Pass, deflected, caught, touchdown. Dallas wins. Philly might miss the playoffs after winning the Super Bowl last year. And now to Miami. A house of horrors for Tom Brady in New England over the years. Even when the Dolphins aren't that good, Patriots struggled there. But it appeared they're going to escape a game effort from Miami when they went ahead by five with just seconds remaining. Miami has the ball. They got to go 71 yards to Hail Mary. Well, they're not going to throw it 71 yards in the air. Just a throw and a lateral and another lateral. Oh, oh, he's got some room. Oh, he's, he's, he's got he's got space. He might score. Oh, he did. Miami wins. It's a miracle in Miami. Why is their tight end playing safety? He can't move. The dumbest loss. One of the dumbest losses you'll ever see. Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mell and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes. Not available on Google Podcasts. Not available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Yes. Yes.